Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Shrewsbury Biscuit podcast. I'm your host, Alex Whiteley. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Uh, joining us today is uh, a very local, uh, fantastic TV chef, and that's Marcus Bean. Thank you very much for joining us, Marcus. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No, no. Um, I think the last time I sort of had the, not dealings with, that sounds like the word, wrong way to put it, but last time I had dealings with you, the last time I saw um, you working with something local was the um, the, uh, the the Shropshire Virtual Festival. There you go. That's what yes. we're doing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was made aware of you and I was kind of, oh, I need to get this guy in the biscuit. But that was like, Right, sort of towards the beginning of that was the, the first first lockdown, wasn't it? I yeah, think. that was that was crazy. And I, I've got to say, even today, I'm flabbergasted and uh, really impressed with that that virtual show because it was just a, a fantastic effort um, by the guys that had to run that. Um, I'd like to discuss uh, your career. Sort of how do you become? How does someone who's a self-professed sort of self-taught chef end up on the TV? How does that happen? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to start? Uh, well, well, let's start from a young Marcus Bean. What's that like for you? What's the inspiration, uh, the, the thing that makes you want to get in the kitchen and cook from a young age? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sort of the, the the typical norm, you know, the sort of Jamie Oliver who always wanted to cook and always did cooking as a kid. It was never really me. Um, I, the one comparative I do have was we both grew up in pubs. So Jamie grew up in a pub, so did I. Um, I've lived in pubs since I was the age of five. So my mum and dad were both, well, my mum was a chef by trade and my dad's a licensee. Um, and um, and that's, that's where it progressed, but that was down in sort of Henley on Thames area around Oxfordshire. And we used to have break space pubs. So um, a lot of the time when we had our, our pubs and the three that we had down there was all, we used to live in a flat above. So we didn't have, uh, you know, a normal sort of standard at home kitchen. You know, we had a domestic kitchen. Sorry, we had a commercial kitchen, not a domestic kitchen. And that, um, for me, never allowed me to go in the kitchen because the pub was open seven days a week. You know, it was closed for a brief hour and a half in the afternoon. And then the only other time it was was quiet and was empty was sort of like 12 o'clock at night until sort of eight o'clock in the morning. So I didn't really get involved as a kid in cooking. I never needed to, never wanted to. Like I say, we had a flat upstairs, which had a lounge and a bathroom, and that was pretty much it. And then outside was a pub garden. Um, but I used to do more really in the cellar with my dad. So it was like tapping barrels, you know, stocking the shelves, that sort of stuff. So nice. um but the one advantage I did have was my mum, obviously, you know, whenever we had dinner, because she was always working, was always a case of what do you want for tea? Here's a menu. There's the specials board. And it was literally a selection. And that was that was for me and my sister from the age of five, really. So, you know, we did have a choice of, you know, steak, three types of steak, you know, beef pies, you know, chicken dishes, casseroles. You know, we had everything we wanted and dessert menus and whatever. Um, Diet Coke on tap, you know, chocolate bars beyond the bar, all that sort of stuff. So we, we ate very well. Um, so I was always around food um, mm. from day one. And the only reason I really got into, you know, sort of cooking as such was... We moved to Shropshire when I was 17. Um, my parents took on a pub called what was the the Burlton Inn many years ago. It was their first free old pub because my mum's originally from Olpus. So we moved up here and I had the choice. I was actually a pig farmer at the time. Um, and she said, do you want to, um, will you come up with us? Um, I had the choice of either staying down south, you know, trying to find myself somewhere to live on a on pittance of a wage <laughs> with my little mopeds, going to work at six in the morning to go and feed the pigs. And I just thought, do you know what, I'm going to move up. So I did. So I moved up and I helped them set up the pub. We renovated it. Um, and I started work, working for them 
and then progressively just did lots of different things. My my obviously my wife Jenny, um, um, we've been together for quite a long time. I can't remember quite how long now. A very long time. Um, and we have three gorgeous children. But we she came work at the pub when we first first started there. And we went off and did our own things. We worked in sort of management. I did everything from, uh, I studied um, sound engineering in Manchester because I always wanted to go into the music industry. Um, and then we had an opportunity to get a pub. Um, and that's where it sort of started. So we took on a pub called The New Inn at Bass Church. And it was a very rundown pub. Um, it was pretty rough to say the least. Mm. Um, so we had to renovate that. And we did that for about, so it took us about two months all in all and then we opened and my parents had the same pub at the same time so we opened and were literally thrown straight in we had a, a mass it was exceptionally busy we were full lunch times dinners i mean it was just non-stop and this is you know going back sort of well, what we on we've been here sort of eight years so this is sort of 16 years ago um you know probably a bit longer actually than that and, and it was incredible we employed a team we employed chefs and myself and my wife can both cook but very basic like if i you know if you had a house, you know, would I cook a barbecue? I could just about cook my own steak. That was my limit. Um, so we had to employ a team of, you know, chefs and front of house and and we could help out, but we were never capable of running a kitchen. And we employed a chef and, um, uh, and to cut a long story short, he was an absolute nightmare. And um, he caused us a lot of issues, a lot of problems, um, everything. Well, I could write a book in the whole year of what we had. We had more <laughs> stuff happen in the first year of trading than my parents had had in 35 years of being in the business. And that gives you a bit of an insight into how full on it was. I mean, we'd taken on a village pub, we'd converted it. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of difference and opinions and animosity. And But at the same time, it was exceptionally busy and we had to manage that. So we had a real nightmare and we just came away from it. And we had we had a, a rare moment of being out for a day and we went, you know, one of us has got to go in the kitchen. We've just got to, we've got to do this. We've got to take a hold of the kitchen. Um and I said to Jenny, I said, well, do you want to do it? And she went, no. And I went, right, okay, well, I'll do it. That's fine. I'll just, I'm going to, you know, I'll do it. And I literally, from that moment on, just put my head down. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of like sort of, you know, studies of sort of catering college books, you know, uh, La, Rose, La Rose Gastronomique, which is sort of a classic French, almost Bible of cooking. Uh, I watched a lot of telly, but I was in a very good position because I had my own kitchen, my own business. I had a local farm around the corner that, that wasn't actually a farm shop at that time called Moore Farm. And I could just develop my own skills and practice and learn. Um, and, and I just did that. And over time, it just got better and better and better and progressed. And, and that's where it started. But like I said, it was out of a necessity rather than a passion of wanting to always do it. You had to, to overadapt to survive. And out of that came this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's the interesting thing. And, you know, you know, this is the same sort of situation where I think a lot of people are in now. And I think we've always got to adapt whatever industry we're in. Um, you know, food is food and hospitality as an industry is exceptionally hard. You know, mm -hmm. the margins are really low. You know, you don't, people go into it, have this pipe dream of running a pub, running a restaurant. Oh my God, it's going to be amazing. You know, I'll have all this and I'll have that. and I'll have a flash card. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't because at the end of the day, you work ridiculous hours. Um, it's been compared to sort of, you know, junior doctors who are putting in the same amount of hours. And it's not always seen by the customer because you're behind the scenes. So you get comments on, oh, well, have you been there? You had a day off. And no, actually, I've been working the cellar for six hours. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that element. So it's a real it's a real high pressure environment. But it's also exceptionally high pressured in terms of 
you know, when there's someone in front of you and they want something and it's there and, it, and you've got, you know, 50 covers or 60 covers in front of you, you've got that pressure. You've got to get it on. You, you're a time frame. You, you know, there's no, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later. You know, it's, it's, it's high intensity, high pressured environment. Um, and, and we learned to adapt to that. And I think that's where, you know, we just sort of, I fell into it and I, I've always loved food. I think that was the background. And then I just got better and better. And it was a random one, really, with TV, you know, come back to the original question, because I didn't want to do TV in any way, shape or form. I was just, you know, we were just running the pub. And I suppose at that time, there was always MasterChef and things, but there wasn't really much else. Um, ready, steady, cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ready, steady, cook, which everybody's watched, you know, all that sort of stuff, which is great. You know, and I've never really been in that situation where like I, said, I wanted to do anything. I can't remember what it was. I think it, I, I got to a point of where I'd been cooking in the kitchen. I'd done a lot of hours and I was pretty knackered. Um, and I just thought, you know what, something popped up and it was this thing called Iron Chef. And I'd seen this sort of application online. And I went, what is Iron Chef? It sounds a bit like nutty. And at the time I was thinking about, I had to get myself out of the kitchen to do some more exercise because it was, I became a bit of a, you know, bear in mind I was in the kitchen from sort of seven in the morning till sort of one to two at night. You know, I'm cleaning up, you know, I'm scrubbing the floors and, you know, you come out of there at like 12 o'clock midnight sweating and Jenny's like, do you want to come to the customer's house? Do you know what? I just don't I just, just, you know, sometimes you get to that point where you become a little bit of a, it's a hard environment, put it that way. I imagine. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, so I ended up sort of um, thinking, what can I do to get myself out? Um, I sort of signed up to Great North Run. I did these little things. And one of the things I'd seen was this Iron Chef. And I was like, what is that? So I Googled it and I saw this like weird sort of yeah, American version and a Japanese version of these these chefs in like this big stadium running around like lunatics, chopping up big fish and meat and vegetables and like cooking stuff up. And I was like, okay, that sounds a bit, because I didn't know whether it was like a, a an Ironman challenge or a triathlon. I wasn't quite sure. So I said, oh, I'll have a go. Anyway, I did the application. Um, and then I I think I was sitting down at 12 o'clock at night with Jenny doing it after we closed the pub. And I started doing it. And then I realized it was like four pages or, or five pages long. I got to the first two pages and I went, I can't be bothered. The application had closed the day after. So I just said, I'm not going to bother doing it. So I left it. Um, and then about three days later, I had a phone call from on my mobile from the production company because I filled in my details. Um, and they just said, hi, I've just you know noticed you've done this application, but haven't filled it in, haven't completed it. I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I said, I just ran out of time, didn't want to do it. And they were like, oh, do you have a chat? And I was like, okay, well, just give me a minute. I'm in service. So I was doing lunch while chatting to them on the phone. <laughs> and they just said, look, would you, you fancy coming for um, like a screen test? There's loads of people who are doing it. We're traveling around the country. And it was Aston Villa football ground. Um, and they said, would you come and do like a, you know, you need to cook us two dishes, um, you know, on camera being filmed with other people in the kitchen. And I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. Why not? Um, so I did. Um, and I went and did it. And it was a first, that was the first time I'd ever cooked for anybody out of my own kitchen, like ever. Um, and I, I think I did like um, a turbot dish. I did like a posh fish and chips, basically like a turbot. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan and said butter and all that stuff. Lovely little French fries. Um, and they did a little um, uh, sort of video of me and took it. And then they gave me a call a couple of weeks later and said, look, we'd love to invite you to come and do the show. So it was all filmed in Glasgow. Um, so I was a bit like, oh, okay, right. How do I do this? So I managed to cover the kitchen and, and get myself out. And I spoke to Jen and Jen was like, just go and do it. You know, you've got nothing to lose. And it got me out of the kitchen, which I think is why she probably pushed me to do it. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get out, go and, go and do something different. So I did. So I flew up to Glasgow. Um, I got off a plane. I remember getting in a taxi with, and with, they congregated us all together to go to the hotel. Um, and they, um, 
and I was getting this taxi and they were, I was like, oh, hi, I'm Marcus. Um, and they were like, yeah, this guy was from Birmingham and he had like three restaurants. There was another guy um, who was a professional chef. And he, again, he had a restaurant himself. Another one who worked really. And I, I got to the hotel when I checked in. I spoke, phoned to Jenny. I went, so I think I'm out of my debt here. I said, like, there's three or four people that are all going to be my group that are, you know, obviously really good professional chefs. I'm not. I'm self-taught. I've been cooking for like eight or nine months at this time, I think. Um, I, said, I just, I don't know. And she went, just go and do it and see what you do. Anyway, we went in and you have an ingredient each day. And it was like, there was four of us competing against the hierarchy chefs. So one of them was Tom Aitkins, who's just been awarded another Michelin star in his restaurant. Um, a guy called Martin Blunos, who at his peak had two stars. Uh, Sanjay Devi, Judy Dew, and a, and a couple of others. And all at the time, all of the uh, judges were food critics. So they were all like editors, Delicious Magazine, BBC Good Food. Ollie Smith was the um, the host. Uh, you know, Ollie Smith, the wine guy, was at the kitchen. Uh, Nick Nairns. I mean, it was just everybody was involved. Everybody foodie was involved in the show. Pressure. Um, Pressure. Yeah, exactly. And I carried on. <laughs> I kept doing it. Anyway, I kept, I kept winning. So I won my section each day. And you get these like little stars and your badges. And it came through that I got through and, and, um, and I ended up getting through to the final. So I had to go back home, work for like a week and a half, fly back out two weeks later to do the final. And there was only two people who won the whole show. It was like they did like three or four series. Um, me and another guy called, um, uh, I can't remember his name now. Um, he's a good friend, a good French, French chef. Um, and he, uh, Frank Pontaine is his name. And me and him are the only two winners in the whole show. Anyway, it went out Channel 4. Um, did this thing, won it, went back to carry on working at the pub. And I think it came out like six months after. But the show was not a massive success. It wasn't what it was. It was very fast paced. It was a bit too full on. It was like on at like six o'clock. Um, it was a bit like trying to watch Come Dine With Me, like Ninja Warrior. <laughs> you know, it needed to be later type thing. So it wasn't. Anyway, it didn't quite work. Um, but out of that, I just sort of came away from it. And I went, Do you know what? Like, I didn't get a lot from it. There wasn't really wasn't really publicized. I didn't have much publicized locally about it. It was just one of those things I won and I did, you know, I didn't win any money for it. Um, and I just I just thought, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and pursue that. I really enjoyed it. And then I just pushed it. So I got myself an agent. I approached someone, had a chat with them, they went, Yeah, I think there's potential to do bits. And then I just kept pushing and pushing. And uh, I went for an interview with ITV for this morning, um, did a screen test. And then about, uh, I think it was about, uh, probably about nine months later, after I'd had my screen test, they came back and said, oh, yeah, I'd love you to um, come on the show. And I said, well, do you want me to do a screen test? And I went, no, 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 we've already done that. We've got it in the files. Just just come on. So I was like, bang, um, and straight into the show with, with Holly and Phil. And, and I did that for about a year. Um, and then I've just done lots of other stuff from there. And I, I was probably one of the only chefs that had a contract for a year to do. So I was doing it sort of every fortnight, I suppose, um, going and cooking on that. But that's like seven odd years ago, maybe even more than that now, seven, eight years ago. It's crazy how, how this time flies. And then just kept in that loop. So just I'm involved in bits and bobs. But, um, you know, yeah, I've done all sorts of stuff from pilots to everything uh, I, else. Really. I, I don't. OK, so traditionally, I don't I don't tend to watch terrestrial tv i'm i'm a, I'm a box yeah. setter i watch netflix and stuff so i do i yeah, don't nice. watch <laughs> i don't watch uh daytime tv as much as most people but i have obviously all week i've been watching your shows on this morning watching back bits that you've done and i've got to say what i do when i when i research my guests and things i put myself in their position in certain scenarios and one of them is cooking live on tv it looks <laughs> oh my god it looks haunting like just how difficult it can be and yeah. how easily it can go wrong. How was it adapting to that arena? Yeah, I mean, I'm 
I'm probably slightly different to most in the, the way that I absolutely love live TV. I love um, doing things on the moment. I love being under that pressure environment. Um, that's sort of how I thrive. Um, like if you ever watch me do a cookery demonstration for any any shows or events, um, I'll generally, you know, people go, oh, what, what are you cooking for? I don't really know. Um, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I've just got few ingredients so i'll bring a bit of you know i'll bring a bit of risotto rice i'll bring a bit of this a bit of that i might have some grains and pulses that i've got ready i might have some meat i might have some really good partridge i might have some fantastic vegetables that come out of the garden everything is very sort of um you know on the on the cuff in terms of cooking and i i've always been like that and then i'll go on stage and i'll you know if there's local suppliers i'll grab some few items and even on stage i'll go like people go what are you going to cook and i'll go well I'm going to do this. And, uh, and that's how I thrive. So I, I work really well with it. Um, it's a completely different ball game. I mean, I had an element of it. The thing is when you're filming, obviously with the filming of Iron Chef, the one advantage was when that clock went, you, you had to carry on cooking. There was no stopping. It wasn't like uh, filming a series. Now, if I was to go and do like a, um, a pilot or a, a TV series, we'd start doing something. They'd go, right, so that's one section. So one section might be getting the camera on a close-up, chopping the onion, and then it stopped for a couple of minutes. Bang, right, then the next section is going to be a close-up of the pan. You know, So you do it in stages. And again, also talking to camera. Live is very different. So you, yes. you are on the moment. Now, the one thing that's very different with something like this morning is, of course, this morning is a set run product. So it has a certain amount of time frame that it has to run. It can't run over that period. That's their, that's their window. So what they're very clever at doing in the producing the directors is they have to have everything in that. So they'll plan all the time slots very cleverly throughout the day. Because what you can't judge is how things, you know, how things go. Or if something goes over slightly. So it, it ends up being cut and chopped. So I remember doing my first one and it was like, right. I said, well, how, how long do you normally get them? Oh, well, they said like about eight minutes, you know, that's sort of like, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, eight minutes. How many dishes do you want to do? Oh, like three in eight minutes. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> right. So, so how do I do this? So we have a home economist who's exceptionally good. Um, home economists are fantastic in terms of um, how they set things up. And they're very clever because they know how the show works. And, you know, so every program you ever see or every live event always has a home economist behind who, who knows exactly what they're doing. Um, so I, I send in recipes. We then plan those recipes. We plan stages of the recipes. So if I was doing, for example, a quiche, let's say, one stage would be having the raw ingredients in front of me measured, which I could then show mixed together. And then, of course, I'd then go, right, that goes to there. Then I'd bring out the pastry that's already chilled. I've got another one there. Then I have another one that's like sort of put into a tin. And then I'll have a tin that's there. And then I'll have a tin that's blind baked. So I'll have probably five or six stages of things done. Then we'll have a quiche that's already finished to come out. So it, it it's very, it's very time frame. But I remember the first one I ever did was like, how, how long have you got? Oh, you got six minutes for your shot today. No problems. Great. Okay, that's fine. I can do that. It was a quiche and it was a nice salad and it was something else. Um, and then just before I was due to go on, they went, oh, yeah, because the last slot ran over, you've now got four minutes. Um, and I went, oh, okay. Uh, and then and then they said, just bear in mind as well, like when you're chatting, you'll probably have about a minute of chatting to Holly and Phil because they'll come in, they want to chat to you before you get cooking so actually in reality i had three minutes to do three dishes um and i just i just went for it you just got to do it and 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 you can have talk back in your ear which is basically one of the producers going right you've got one minute left you've got 30 seconds left you need to play this dish up now and get them to eat the dish now before we fine so and i just it just worked for me i just like i just enjoyed it i loved it um 
it was it was that environment that worked. I mean, if things go wrong, you've got one, you've got two options really. You can either tell everybody, make a joke of it, or you can just ignore it and get on with it. If you burn yourself, you don't tell anybody, you just get on with it and you just deal with it afterwards. That's happened a few times. You just you just got to do these things. And that and I think live is a very different beast. Not some people can't do live TV. Um, but that's the same as if I said to you, you know, if I put someone on stage and interviewed them in front of thousands and thousands of people, they couldn't do it. You know, so it's 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 just how people are in their environments, and 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 I've always always thrived with that. I remember I was um, a couple of days. I was watching one of your videos. I think it was um, on this morning, and you were cooking something, and they were they were asking you about. Egg, I think it was scotch eggs, and they were like, "Oh yeah, so you got to you got to you boil it in hot water, then you put it in cold water, and it's exactly this amount of time." And they were asking you and asking you and asking you, and you you could tell that you had a specific time frame before you had to move something over yeah. and you just kind of cut it dead and then you just moved on to the next bit. It was just so yeah. brilliant yeah, how you did there, that. Because- there is, there's some, and the problem is what we did. I remember doing some slots with Holly and Phil. I think there's probably one still somewhere on, on, on the internet somewhere. And it was like a, um, I can't remember what we were doing. It was like, I was doing a toad in a hole or something, but I was doing like a pan. It was a pancake mix, but then it was, I, I could use it for like making Yorkshire puddings. I'd done a clever sort of take on, you mm. know, quirky things. Cause obviously, you know, that sort of audience really liked the quirkiness or the, the adaption. Um, and we'd done something and I, I'd had some sausages with pan fried them and we'd poured, I'd poured my Yorkie put, Yorkie pudding mix in my tray. And it was like halfway up a sausage. And I said this halfway up a sausage and literally, Holly and Phil just broke up into laughter and just started wet themselves. Um, there was another moment as well, which was quite good. I remember when I was doing the quiche, I think it was my first one. Um, and uh, and I was showing them both how to sort of, you know, do the sort of the pastry skills. What I didn't remember, of course, that was, you know, we've got exceptionally hot lights in and I'm trying to do pastry, which was the most stupidest thing I've ever done. But I managed to get away with it. Anyway, I'm sort of doing this pastry, got my hands covered in flour. And normally I'd put like a little bowl underneath the um, underneath the counter. So I'm sort of doing my thing, you know, playing around, getting the pastry done, getting it blind baked in. And then I'd asked, I think I'd asked Holly to do something with a flour or whatever. Um, so she did that next to me. And then, of course, she put her hands under the counter, literally like this. <laughs> and it looked very precarious. And then Phil turned around and went, welcome to the show, Marcus. And it was just one of those moments where you just have this sort of breakout. And, and But you've at the same time got to retain that professionalism because you yeah. know you've got a time frame. So you can't, you know, you've got to go with it and make it fun and, and and pull those moments in but at the same time you've got to you've got to have the dish ready at the end for them to taste and they always want the dish plated and ready to taste um so yeah so there's been some great moments um and, you know in the same way that sometimes i've got all the way down to london and it's only happened once but i got all the way down to london um i think it was the queen was on a boat going down on the river thames or something i can't remember what it was for um and um and they just ran out of time so they had this, this really quite important slot before and then they just said we can't do cooking today we just haven't got time so that would happen occasionally um because it would always be the first thing that got chopped um but you know it's just i, I just love that moment of excitement and i think there's certain people who can do it really well uh, and there's certain people that really struggle with it and i, I suppose i just thrive with it really I think it's fantastic. Uh, the one thing I always like, everybody thinks about what it would be like to be certain things. Like I've always wanted to be like to be a radio presenter or be on the TV. Well, these are the things. And TV chef is one of those things I don't think I could ever do because of how fussy I am. I don't eat fish. I don't like egg and I don't like mushrooms uh, and all these sort of things. But like, I imagine, I imagine like that Holly and Phil or, you know, particularly people you, you're, you're plating up for like live TV they'll have particular things they don't like. Now, what do they do? Do they taste the food and pretend to like it? 
Or they they, they do on live on TV. Say no, I don't like that. I can't eat it. Yeah, what I mean, uh, no, they they would never be like that. In in terms, you know, there's there's allowance there's allowances in TV for a lot of stuff. Um, you know, so they there is certain times if you've got certain presenters who have got a certain dietary requirement, they would either just not taste the dish, mm-hmm. um, or you know, so like the other presenter, if there was two presenters, one might taste it, one might not, and just sort of talk, and so they they balance that off. Um, generally, people are pretty good. I mean, it's a bit like cooking to a certain extent. If I've got a chef that, that is really fussy and doesn't eat everything, I said, that's fine if you don't like it, but you've got to understand you're feeding this to a customer. So you have to be able to know. So unless you're allergic to it, you've got to be able to taste it yeah. and understand that it's mm. seasoned properly and it tastes right. And, and actually over time, people, you know, sometimes change their, their eating habits. Um, you know, notoriously, Tom Kerridge has got a shellfish allergy. Uh, and one of the dishes he, he he did very well with on Great British Menu was a shellfish dish. Um, and he had to do that was to get his, so he would have his, he had his a very good confidence in his own ability to create something and season it properly. But he had to give that, that tasting skill to like a sous chef or someone else to say, look, can you just double check that? Because he physically couldn't taste it because he knew he would have a reaction. So there's there's elements of, 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 I suppose, just being creative. And I think presenters are exceptionally good. I mean, you know, one thing, if you're ever doing things like, you probably don't know, but, you know, things like MasterChef and stuff like that, you know, these are, um, you know, these aren't live live shows. So what they're doing is there, there's a lot of prelims. So it's the time frame, right, that's cut off. And then there's a lot of time between them being cut off, putting their dishes up to obviously every dish getting tasted. Could be half an hour, could be even longer. So, you know, the judges at that point are not allowed to judge on temperature of the food, which is understandable. Yeah. So they have to judge it purely on flavor, purely on presentation. So there's, there's, you know, because it wouldn't be fair, you know, if I was the last one to get judged, if they came up and said, well, your dish is cold. Well, of course it's been cold. It's been sat there for 45 minutes. So, what, you know, <laughs> so you've got to be quite, um, so I think it's, it's, it's a balance um, of, of doing those things. But most people, I think, are always very good. And I think, you know, if I have people with dietary requirements, we, we try and fit it in. And, you know, you've got to adapt to everything these days. Um, sometimes it just means more work. You know, some chefs want to do it, some chefs don't. Um, speaking to Adam Pennell, he's a good friend of ours. He's been on a couple of my shows, uh, Shropshire Lad, obviously. Um, he was telling me, because he was on the, on that on the TV show on BBC on Channel 4, and he was saying yeah. there's a lot of trickery when it comes to, like, you know, certain things. Obviously, that's that was highly edited because that was done yes. over, like, a weekend or something, you know, over a few days. Um, are there any sort of tricks and tips that you can tell us about what they do sort of on TV to make things look a bit better because it's all live and obviously it's think a lot of things are pre-cooked live live yeah live is a no really uh, to be honest live is live is what it is so yeah, it, it comes down to the exactly <laughs> and it comes down to the skill of whoever's present you know whoever's preparing it whoever's presenting it so you know that's that's really down to me and the home economist to make sure you know that finished product is done um there's an element of sometimes set dressing of things that are already prepaid and done um so live is very very different uh, in terms of of um like your magazine shoots your tv shoots all that sort of stuff there is a lot of obviously you know um uh, what we call food styling that goes on i've done a little bit of food styling yeah only a little little bits on my own shoots and stuff we've done um and obviously there's lots of things i mean notoriously over you know this has been going on for many many years but you know if you ever see a, a beautifully basted turkey that's always a raw turkey covered in like soy sauce and you know and um and all sorts of different things so because it keeps the plumpness if you put a turkey that's been cooked or a chicken that's been cooked obviously you would lose that that plumpness so it's always a raw product that's taken a shot of um there's lots of trickery in terms of stuff that's done um there's sometimes you know when you're watching things you 
you might not want to sort of taste them because they might have had other ingredients put in them. Um, other things like, um, I'm trying to think what it was, uh, sometimes with like sparkling drinks, they might put like Alka-Seltzers in them to give them lots of bubbles. I mean, there's all sorts. There's, there's weird and wonderful things you can put, but that comes down to really the the skill set of a, um, a food stylist. And there's, you know, food stylist and home economist are slightly different, but some of them do both roles. Um, and they're very clever. And, you know, you know things like Great British Menu, mm. you know, the chefs, you know, work exceptionally hard on the presentation and the delivery. Um, obviously, the food is exceptionally important, but that's a key part of their dish. Um, and it's really the same, same with Bake Off, you know. Um, you know, if you're looking at the Bake Off, for example, you know, if they get a, if they get a challenge on Bake Off um, and it's like a, you know, a special cake challenge or whatever it is going to be, they're not, that hasn't been, you know, something they've just been thrown at. You know, that's something they've been allowed to practice because, you know, they're allowed to go away. So part of the whole filming process, if they have a showstopper cake or whatever, they're allowed to go and do that and try it at home because, you know, as a viewer, you want to see this incredible cake, but someone couldn't do that on spec. It's not, you know, physically possible. So they've got to go away, get it right. And then they've got to do it in real time, but they've actually already practiced it. So it allows us. So there's lots of things that go on in TV, but I think, you know, the, I mean, I, I suppose probably we have more, I think it's more fun and exciting, you know, now doing things like what I do, which is, you know, a lot of the BBC Good Food shows and the live shows. So working with a lot of the, you know, the big chefs on stage where you've got two and a half thousand people in front of you um, and they've got literally 25 minutes probably to create their three dishes, but in front of a live audience, um, which is pretty full on. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty I hard. Imagine, for some... yeah. I imagine that's crazy hard. Uh, what's it like going from, uh, so obviously when you run a pub and when you've got your own restaurant, you know, you you are in the limelight. Like, everybody's focused on your food. They're ready to make a complaint if it's bad. Um, yeah. Compliments uh, as well. Um, what's it like going from running your own pub and having that focus absolutely quadrupled? Well, as soon as you're on TV, the, you get the focus is on Marcus Bean and what Marcus Bean's made. It must be an enormous amount of pressure because, I mean, when you're on TV, it's for a short span of time. But when you're yeah. cooking, this is a whole career for you. Yeah, does yeah it- I mean, I, th- I think it's one of the, I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm different. I mean, it's, it's probably more reflective on someone, let's say, that does, for example, Saturday Kitchen um, or Great British Menu is a, gr- a great influencer of that because you watch the show and you're watching a, a standard and then sometimes you expect that same standard in, you know, in that, in that sort of that, that person's restaurant, which obviously, you know, it doesn't always happen because uh, something like Great British Menu or Saturday, Saturday Kitchen is a bit different, but, you know, Great British Menu would be a showcase of that product. Yeah, you're, you're trying and you have time uh, and you can put in effort to create something which is exceptional. You know, that doesn't, you wouldn't necessarily always be able to replicate that in your working environment and doing it at 60 covers and so on and so on. So chefs are very good in terms of adapting and changing. For myself, it wasn't too bad because like I say with, you know, even with sort of great, um, well, did Iron Chef, it wasn't, um, the show wasn't a massive success. So it sort of allowed me just to sort of steadily grow, develop my skill go back to the pub, do my own thing and, and just build my own sort of reputation from that, which was great. Um, you know, when we, when I've done things like this morning, again, you'll be surprised how many people don't relate to, you know, they would see you on, for example, this morning and cooking a dish. They wouldn't necessarily know that you had a pub and you had a restaurant. And so they don't always collate the two together. Um, something like Saturday Kitchen is very specific in terms of going, right, we've got Marcus Bean, for example, from, you know, such, such, and they name your restaurant and you know that you're going to get a massive amount of bookings that are going to come from that. Um, I've always liked the whole sort of interaction with customers. I've always liked that. 
you know that link uh, and don't get me wrong you like over, over a period of time I've had lots of people from social media that have traveled from all over the country to come and have dinner at the pub you know in the same way that people come now to the cookery school and come and get taught um, and that's that's fantastic I mean I love that sort of element of it um, but it's it's I think that's probably why some people don't do restaurants nowadays because it is a real high pressured environment. You keep that reputation um, up, haven't you? You know, you got to. Yeah, and I think yeah, you've you've got an enormous amount of pressure. It's like winning the Michelin star to a certain extent because you know, you know, and a Michelin star for a lot of chefs is you know is is the peak. You know, that's what they they aim for. They want to achieve star status in a one, two, or three. That's what they're driving themselves forward to because it's a recognition element for them, which is totally understandable. But it's also an incredibly pressured environment. Um, and I know people have won Michelin stars, but I also know people have lost them. And that's, you know, and it, that's hard, you know, and, and notoriously over the years, there's been a lot of people where the pressure has become way too much. Um, and they've, you know, they've veered off or they've taken their own life. You know, it's, it, it, it increases a lot of pressure on yourself. But at the same time, it's that recognition. So you, you've got to be quite clever in balancing, you know, how you what you want from and what you want to achieve, what you want from your life. And I think there's, there's a lot of chefs out there do go and achieve Michelin star status, you know, in a really high level. And sometimes they come away from it and go, do you know what? I've done it. Um, I'm walking away from it. Um, but it, you know, it, it really comes down to yourself. And I suppose also as well, lots of other things that affect it, like your family and in your environment, you know, you're working a lot of hours doing these things, you know, some, sometimes you have to sort of turn around and go, do you know what? I've got to take some time out and you've got to, you've got to sort of recalibrate and, and work. What are you having for dinner? Chippy. <laughs> that's <what laughs> exactly. we're but, but that's the reality of most chefs, you know, and Tom Kerridge is very good at that. Actually. He's a good example. You know, um, you know, we look at Tom and he's got a two Michelin star pub. He's got a one Michelin star coach. You know, he's got, he's got restaurants all over the shop, you know, that are, are, are getting incredible accolades. He's won great British menu two or three times. I can't remember how many times it is. You know, he, he is an incredible chef. But, you know, the reality is he doesn't go home and put a stock on every night and then reduce that down and make a jus for his steak that he's cooking up for him and his wife and his kids. It doesn't happen. The reality is he probably uses a stock cube. Well, he does use a stock cube, you know. Um, you know, so you're using simple things. You're cooking simple food. And actually, most chefs eat really basic stuff. Matt chefs that I know that live on like pot noodles and, you know, quick noodle packs and stuff like that because it's easy and convenient. And actually, sometimes when you put so much pressure in, in creating someone else's dishes and doing lots of dishes like hundreds and hundreds of covers you go home and the last thing you want to do is cook so you know it, it's about making sure you don't lose that sort of spark that you have in a restaurant yeah I, I imagine home. but it's that balance it is quite hard huge huge uh, my wife actually i did throw up some uh, suggestions for questions no one wrote in i think i put it to a bit too close to the yeah, interview but my, <laughs> my wife um asked um when it comes to christmas dinner are you yes. in charge or do you let the missus take control? To be honest, I mean, me and Jenny have got, I mean, Jenny's a, good, a very good cook as well. Um, so we have a, you know, a really good sort of a balance. Again, I'd say probably lockdown has probably been the hardest for like cooking and things. Uh, in terms of stuff like Christmas, I do, I do enjoy it. My only downside is I would say that Jenny probably doesn't enjoy it when I'm cooking only because I tend to go, right, I'm going to school or I'm going, you know, and, I, and I'm prepping. So I'm getting things ready. You know, I'm doing the roast potatoes 24 hours before, you know, I'm getting all the veggies ready. I'm getting everything prepped and making a stock and a sauce. Yeah. So I am going all out for that. Um, and that takes a lot of time out. And then of course, sometimes as well, you know, I, I've got that natural host in me where um, if I have people around for dinner, I end up sometimes being 
not <laughs> with the people that we've invited around because I'm always going, right, well, I'm wandering off and I'm grabbing this and I'm grabbing that. And then before you know it, you've you've done three courses and you've done that and I've, I'm putting <laughs> something else and then I'm doing a bit of washing up and then it's like, hold on a minute, what are you doing? Just come back and sit down. So if I, I have to sort of remind myself that I have to prep everything in advance and get it ready. Um, so we sort of take it in turns really. Um, uh, this year, uh, we did it all ourselves and it's good. And we have also done, you know, a Marks and Spencer's Christmas, like a lot of people do. Um, you know, there's, there's cheats and things. I always think like making the roasties is always my favorite thing to do. I always like doing them. I don't buy roast potatoes, don't buy Yorkie puds, even though my mum does, who's a chef. Um, you know, little <laughs> things like that. But I think I, it doesn't matter. I think at the end of the day, you know, if you can do things great, but what you don't want to do is end up doing loads of stuff in the kitchen and not enjoying the moment, you know, not enjoying that experience of having a really nice sit down Christmas lunch. Um, so we try and take it in turns and try and do what we can really, but, um, you know, I think that's the balance, isn't it? The Yorkshire pudding is one of the most amazing things that we have in this country. I host a, a transatlantic show called, uh, you suck. Uh, my co-host is from okay. Vermont and I keep trying to explain to him how amazing a Yorkshire pudding is. I'm trying to get him to make one or, by yeah, yeah. whatever just try a yorkshire pudding with a roast and he just he just won't he can't understand the concept of what it is and uh <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to explain <laughs> no, i think it's a great thing yorkshire puddings are fantastic i think in the you know there's there's the whole balance of what they are and what they bring but i think it's it's a lot of things with food you know people always ask me and say well what you know what how do you, you know, what's the, how do you make things taste good? How do you make things, you know, and for me as a chef, you know, over, over a period of time, you, you tend to think about textures and flavors and, mm. and combinations and, you know, salt and sweetness and acidity and all these things that balance. So whenever you think about creating something, you just think about that, that component element. And actually, if you look at like a roast beef, for example, or roast pork or whatever it is, doesn't really matter whether you have that Yorkshire pudding with it, with it because it, the encompassment is it's something it's sort of like crispy on the outside, but it's soft in the center. It's sort of, you know, it can, it can absorb that meat, it can absorb that gravy. You know, it, it does all those things that you want it to do. And then, of course with a potato, you want, you know, if you're having a roast potato, you want it to be crispy and crunchy, but then soft on the inside. So it's all about textures and flavors and elements and seasoning. And it, it's just about that, that combination of stuff. You know, some of the best things you can eat could be a, a really incredible salad that can actually have that combination of grains, different pulses, different flavors, sweetness, you know, saltiness from soy sauce, you know, all these things that mix in. And when you get those together, it's just like heaven. And like I say, Yorkshire puddings are sort of one of those things that, that sit really well with most stuff, especially meat. And, you know, I mean, you can put them with everything. Can't you? That's where they go well with sausages and toad in the hole. Mm. And, you know, I mean, you could do all sorts of them. It's, it's a good food. It's a good food. Um, <laughs> of course, you mentioned lockdown just a second ago. Um, I've, we've seen a. Well, I mean, I've just spoken to uh, to George McKay from. Um, he's he's created hokey pokey in Shrewsbury, which is really cool. It's a pokey food. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but this is just one of many like uh, sort of uh, restaurants that have well kitchens that have started making food through lockdown. Yeah. So sort of spreading their wings. Why not? Eh, we're all sat at home Indeed. anyway. Um, it's it's got, it's got to be great that this lockdown period hasn't just stopped people. There's people out there that have gone and sort of honed in on their skill and think George is a, is a fantastic guy because he was a waiter. He's worked, waited on and, and been in behind the bars and stuff for years and years and years. And all of a sudden he was like, no, I'm doing this myself, you know? So he's nice. had that experience, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just really nice. Um, what's what's lockdown been like for you? Um, obviously you've got the Brompton school, cooking school, yeah. you've got the pub, things like that. It must have been really hard for you. Um, what was that? Like? Yeah, I mean, luckily, we, well, I'd say luckily, I mean, 
just because it was another impressive run. We don't have the pub now. So when we moved here, we had the, we had an overlap of where we had the pub and the school for about a year. And then, yeah, we sold that so about seven years ago. So in some ways, as much as I miss the pub, sort of in this climate, it's, it's sort of a bit of a, I'm probably better off without it. Yeah. Um, so we've had the cookery school, which has been a bit of a, a nightmare in terms of not being able to run things for us, because obviously, you know, it affected all of our sales that we do, you know, through the Christmas period. So that, that's had a big impact on us. Uh, in terms of gift vouchers and people buying experience and courses. And we do everything from, you know, like fish meat courses, kids courses, foraging courses, you know, I do one-to-one tuition. So we do everything. Um, but that's been a real sort of struggle because we sort of, we couldn't trade and then we could trade and then we were closed. And the first lockdown, we thought we've got to do something. So we actually set up a little sort of mini farm shop, one to obviously give us some sort of cash flow, but also to try and help support some of our suppliers because all, all the businesses are closed. You know, all our suppliers that we've been using for like the last 15, 20 years, um, we, you know, we're sort of struggling. So we just said, well, we'll, we'll start doing something. So we, we put a shop in the cookery school, I borrowed a coffee machine. We were doing like, you know, proper decent coffee. And we we, we sort of tweaked it all up and did it. Um, and then when we were allowed to reopen the, you know, so back in the summer, we just thought, well, we want to continue this in some way, shape or form, because we always thought about doing it eventually as a, you know, running something alongside the cooker school. So we actually converted a little space on the side um, and did that. And then we've been running that every Friday and Saturday, um, pretty much from day one, um, which has allowed us to sort of, you know, again, do some sort of really nice coffees. You know, we sell our own blend of coffee, but, you know, we, we use some of our fantastic suppliers as well. So we sell all the essentials, like really good quality salts and cooking oils, rapeseed oils. But then we also have some fresh produce like meats and um, occasional bits of fish and lots of fresh fruits, and but also lots of good store cupboard ingredients. So that's been one of our challenges we had. Uh, we got a couple of pigs. We had some pigs in the first round of lockdown. Um, they've been good. They need to be going soon, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, we do that. We, we try and grow quite a bit of stuff on site. Uh, I think the biggest thing now is the sort of the, the last lockdown has been hard because, of course, you haven't really been able to do much outside. So, you know, the weather's been pretty horrendous. Um, you know, gardening sort of non-existent really until it's starting to come a little bit through now. Um, but yeah, it's been challenging. I mean, I've, I also... Then we know as well, but I also work as a um, consultant over in Ironbridge Gorge Museum Trust. So I run all their catering facilities, which I took over in Jan. Um, and then I've got the furnace kitchen, which I, again, sort of looked after for the trust. And we built that a couple of years ago. So I started working them on a sort of a casual basis, and then it's developed and become a bit more. So I do about three days sort of working for them, which is, as you imagine, it's closed at the moment. But we've got a lot of planning to do moving forward. So that's sort of, you know, we've got a team, obviously, that are all on furlough. Um, we've been trying to get sort of, you know, a lot of funding for the museums to try and balance that. We're trying to focus all the catering. We've got, you know, weddings and events plans. So there's lots going on that side as well and with this. And also as well, trying to balance, you know, other stuff as well. So, you know, we're trying to be proactive and, you know, this time the, the whole sort of homeschooling has been a bit of a nightmare. I'm not going to lie. I think most parents out We've there all felt that a little bit. <laughs> at, at the end of their tether and are just like, oh, my God. You know, um, so, yeah, it's been hard. But we've done we've done the odd sort of stuff. We've done a few like Sunday lunch takeouts, which we're doing. We did a big Valentine's um, takeout, um, which we did last weekend, which has worked really well. Um, we'll probably continue with a few of those. Again, it's just trying to create, create a bit of cash flow for this side of our business because, 
you know, a lot of it is. And that's where I think a lot of people have come and, and they sort of, you know, created these home pop-up kitchens, which is a really good idea. You know, you sort of, you just get in contact with your local council, you get your kitchen, you know, sort of signed off by, by EHO just to say, yeah, it's fine. You can prepare your food in here, what you're doing. And then, of course, the great thing is people be able to sort of sign up to things like Zoom, um, you know, local delivery services. And actually you can do that. And, it, and I think that's a great way it creates, you know, I'm always been a massive fan of street food. I don't know whether you remember quite a few years ago if you're still in Shrewsbury but I created the first ever sort of street food event called Eat Street many years ago in Shrewsbury um, and we did about three events all in all and I sort of worked really close to the bid in the local council and we did it in um, St Altman's Church in the, in the yard right off nice, the yeah. Um, and it was incredible. I brought people uh, like Dogtown from London. They came up. Um, I had Suns actually on the sort of second or third one did a little pop-up for me. I had Barkworth. So I managed to get him to set up like a little seafood stand. We had Legina doing sort of curries. I had I love Legina. Um, She's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. So again, it was me sort of me sort of collating a lot of people together. Um, and it was a sort of free event uh, where people came and it was sort of a collation of like eight or nine really good street food traders. Um, so we did that a few times over the period. So I've always been, you know, really massively into, you know, street food and that promotion. And one of the reasons why it's so good is because it's such an easy market to access. You know, if I said to you, right, I actually love food. I want you to go and set up a restaurant. You'd be like, right. Okay. Jeez. I've got my rent. I've got my tax. I've got my insurance. I've got, you know, I've got my, my wages. I've got the gas. I've got the electric. I've got the water. How am I going to make any money? And that's the reality. It's exceptionally expensive. But actually with street food and with sort of home food, you know, kitchens nowadays is you, you know, the actual income, the outcome and the capital input is, is very low. So if mm. you've got a passion for something, you can create it. And like I said, because of the, I suppose, to the things that have been accentuated, like the delivery services have given people that opportunity to go, do you know what? Why don't we do it and give it a go? And actually, it's a really good way. And then it's almost testing the water before you, you know, if you look at London as a street food scene, and I work with very close to a guy called Dom Calls, who was one of the co-founders of Street Feast in London. Um, and, and I mean, over the progressive years, they were one of the first ones and they were doing all sorts. But a lot of their traders, you know, had a little stand, you know, selling sort of uh, tacos or selling pizzas or selling, you know, wonderful stuff. They've now got restaurants all over London, you know, but it was a tester market for them to work out if it was viable. Can I do it? And yes, I can. Um, so, yeah, massive fan of uh, of sort of, you know, street food pop-ups, new food businesses. Um, I think we've always got to adapt and change. And I mean, I, I'm a massive fan of anything that's food, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I went to a proper, like, street food oh, place. It was in Digworth in, in, in Birmingham. Oh, I can hear you now. There you go. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know what happened. Um, I was just saying that the first time I went to this, I went to this amazing place in Digworth. Uh, in Birmingham. Oh yeah, Digbeth Dine Club, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, amazing. We've been to we've been to watch um uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot. I don't know, we'd had a few beers and uh met with a load of friends from around the country and my friend was like, We're gonna go get some food. And I was like, I didn't quite know what to expect. And we went to this the Digbeth Dine Club. It was just amazing. You walk into this nightclub and it's just yeah. like food stalls everywhere. Um amazing, amazing scene. Uh the food was just smelled amazing, the music was great, the I had a real good chat with some of the people there. It was really good. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. And that was one of when we first did Eat Street, actually, that was one there was a uh, a lady who worked for the bid. Um, and that was one of the things we went to look at because they were quite keen on doing something in Shrewsbury. And I sort of went over and I said, Oh, we'll have a look and we'll go and see it. And we we had a look at them and I just went. I think we just do it on our own. <laughs> so, so we ended up doing it on our own in the end, um, which was great. Um, but, I mean, they've obviously got an incredible following. I think they paired up with um, Sammy Liberty in the end and started doing some stuff at um, 
Is it Seven Social? Um, yeah. There was a link there, yeah. wasn't there, with Digbuff? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the movement they've had, and you know, it's, it's been incredible, and they've done some really good stuff over that period. It's the Favreau time. effect. John Favreau is a genius, and he made that movie Chef, where he, he made the, oh, the yeah, food yeah. truck. Because uh, everything, obviously, that John Favreau touches is just turns into gold. I don't know if you can see. <laughs> right. Um, so we talked a bit about sort of uh, taking that step into um, sort of making a brand of yourself, making, you know, got there and making something of yourself. What what would you give, what advice would you give to sort of aspiring chefs that want to go out there and, and sort of be the new Marcus Bean or go and, take, you know, become the new chef? What advice it, it, would you give? Uh, it's it's a, a, a sort of couple of bits of advice, really. I mean, the, the first one is don't don't go out there with that presumption. That I you thought you were going to say don't do it. A, Just don't do it. <laughs> no, well, the, I, I've told a few people to do that when they've asked me if we used to have that when we had the pub. We had a couple of people come up to us and they oh, can we have a chat after work? You know, yeah, yeah, that's fine. What would you want to do? And they were like, oh, we want to, we're, we're thinking about buying a pub. And me and Jenny both sit down and go, right, okay, let's just, let's just stop you right there. So, like, I'm going to ask you some honest questions. I want some honest, you know, honest answers. And we'd say, right, okay, so what do you do? So we'd ask the person, you know, wife, husband, whatever, what do you do? I said, look, you know, I'm asking this question, what do you earn? Right, okay, blah, blah, blah. How many hours do you work? Okay, fine. Okay, so I said, right, that's your income now. That's your salary. That's what you do. I said, so take all that away. Take your salary away. Double the hours that you work. Do you still want to run a pub? And I'd say, okay, what do you mean? I'd say, well, I'm asking you a really honest question and they go, well, no, why would we? And we'll go, there's your answer then. Don't do a puff. And we <laughs> used to say that same thing. So with the, with the food element and with the thing is there's a lot of people now who want to become a celebrity chef. And I don't class myself as a celebrity chef by any means. These are Tom Kerridge, your James Martins, those people, you know, they've done exceptionally well. But remember, they didn't set out to become a celebrity chef. There is, a, you know, a celebrity chef is a title that's been, you know, sort of, pinned on people because they're in that sort of celebrity spotlight. It's the same with your Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood was a, a baker and he worked in a hotel and he was running kitchens in Cyprus and he was a pastry chef for many years. He happened to apply for a show and it took him to stardom and he's, you know, he's now an exceptionally good, whatever you want to call a celebrity baker, bake-off man, whatever. Icon. Um, <laughs> icon, exactly, yeah. Um, free Aston Martins, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, so so don't aim for that. That's the, the biggest thing. And it's the same way that I would say if you want to achieve a Michelin star, don't aim for Michelin star. Do what you believe in and things will come. And I think that's the thing people have got to understand. If you want to get an element or you're interested in TV and film, get experience. So go and work in some incredible kitchens, go and work with some incredible chefs to learn your craft and learn your trade. And, you know, I've done it over the years. Um, even when I was learning, I went over and worked at, you know, Lebercast with Will Holland, you know, for free. Um, when I was um, even not that long ago, I was doing an event for um, a good food show and I was down at Olympia. Um, and at the time I was like, I'm working in PR, I've got four days, you know, hosting a stage down there. And I knew that, you know, um, that Heston's restaurant, dinner by Heston was not far away at the Mandarin Oriental. So I, I messaged Ashley Palmer Watts, who I'm now good friends with. I said, Ashley, can I come down and do some work? And he went, what do you mean? He went, well, I said, well, I'm down in London. I said, I'm working for a couple of days. I said, I can arrive like a day early and I'll come and work. And he went, what do you mean? I said, like, can I just come and work in the kitchen? He went, well, you'll come on the stage. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He went, oh, okay, if you want, mate. Um, and, and this is things that happen regularly. You know, they have people who sort of come for a job and they'll do a stage. 
but not normally like me, but I just said, I'll come down. So I like, you know, I go down there and like start work. I think I started about, um, about 12 o'clock, chuck on my chef whites, throw me in each section. I want to see everything, and, you know, throw me in the restaurant, show me all the, so they show me every element of where we're going, um, you know, and you're tasting food and experiencing and stuff, but you understand how the business works, how many people are on shift, how many people are there. You know, for me, I'm always thinking, oh my God, like how many staff have they got? You know, how much is that costing? How much is that? But you understand, you taste, you you get to learn those skills. You understand how people work. Um, that's really important. And when you've got to that point of where you feel it, then then that's where you can adapt. And even if you wanted to go into TV, you know, there's lots of incredible jobs in other elements. So it might be that you want to become a baker rather than a chef. It might become that you want to be a pastry chef rather than a chef. It might be that you want to become a fine dining chef, or you might want to become a street food chef. It might be that you want to do food styling. Yeah, or you might want to become a home economist, which is an exceptionally good job. You know, home, home economists are, um, are the backbone of all good TV shows. So they get all the glamorous part of being behind the set, working with all the, you know, you look at Bake Off, you know, they've got a team of home economists who are weighing all the ingredients, putting stuff out ready, having things done. You know, there's washing up in there as well, but, you know, they're doing everything, you know, so they have a really good, clever way of working in TV being on the sides sometimes that you know they'll work on books and book shoots some will actually write books for people as well you know so there's there's so many different areas in food to do but the biggest thing i say is always about experience you know just go out and say can i come and work can i come and work for free can i come and help out can i come and do something um to get experience and just get that experience with lots of people um and also research you know do you do your work you know do you know have a look at things understand things you know um I think the problem we had with a lot of the sort of catering colleges, probably not so much now, but previously was, um, you know, people would be sort of almost pigeonholed into, uh, they'd go to the careers advice at school and it was like, what do you want to do? And I'm, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like this. And well, do you like cooking? Yeah, I like cooking. Right, well, do you want to go to catering college? And then throw them to catering college. (laughs) off you go and they go oh this is quite nice like i rock up at college at like nine o'clock in the morning i finished at three or four in the afternoon got a few assignments do a bit of cooking eat a bit of food yeah great and actually you know when they finish their two-year course or whatever they come out and they go right you've got to get a job and then they go okay so i'm going to get my first job and then they get into a kitchen and they realize that they're working a phenomenal amount of hours um the pressure is exceptionally high the the wage is a minimum wage you know and it's it's the bit until they go I don't want to do this. And but they've wasted those two years. So mm. always just try, you know, and there's some incredible people that come out of colleges, but at the same time, I think we've got to, you've got to, you've got to test the water before you know what career you've got to take. It's like anything, isn't it? You know, if you were doing the same with your, you know, you, you know that you could go and work in a studio or go and work in a pot, or, you know, try and get people's advice and talk to people and it builds you up and it makes you better. I did exactly the same when I, um, started um you know doing all the hosting of the, the super theaters i never wanted to do a bit like cooking i didn't want to go and host a big super theater with loads of big super chefs um i was cooking at a food show because of iron chef because of the whole tv thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i was doing at the time i got my first gig was um i, I tried to get into the bbc good food show because i knew it was the biggest food show in the country like i was like I've got to get in there. So I I think it was via Twitter at the time. Instagram wasn't around. So I, I, I messaged someone on Twitter and said, and it was like a food producer, a lady called Tate, Katie Truss, who's an incredible lady. And she was a, a food finder. So she found all these amazing food producers. Um, and I messaged her and said, look, you know, I'd love to come and do some cooking at the show. Never done like big demonstrations ever before. Um, and she went, okay, well, I'll see if I can get you in with someone. She got me in one year, free ticket, 
didn't end up seeing someone. I came back next year. She got me and I ended up speaking to one of the sort of like directors. And they said, well, we've got this thing coming up. Maybe you could do that. And this was all like around my agent. Um, anyway, it turned out that basically it was at NPower at the time. It used to have like a, um, a stand in the middle of the cookery, you know, theater. So a thousand and thousand people a day. And they'd have this little NPower stand, which had a little kitchen station. Um, and basically they'd employ a chef and the chef would be cooking up something. Everybody come and watch, obviously. They'd finish cooking and then literally all of NPower sales staff would come over and sell <laughs> you gas and electric. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. So I got this contract to do that at all the good food shows. I did Scotland, did Ireland, did um, London. Um, we did um, uh, York, we did all sorts. So I was sort of traveling with the food show all the time. Um, and I started doing that and then that faded out with Empower um, and the show really liked me. So they said, oh, do you fancy doing like a little bit of something on a stage, like a couple of demos? I was like, yeah, yeah. And I just got to the point where I went, I can only cook on a stage for so long. Like that's, that's only going to be, you know, sustainable for so long. And then you get like a half an hour slot. So you get paid for that one slot. I thought, well, hold on a minute. If, if someone's hosting a stage, they're here for like the whole four days. So I thought, well, so I said, if you ever need like someone to host, just let me know. Anyway, they gave me this little like magic mix stand. It was like 50 people in a little free room in front. And then I had a few people to come on. So not the big one, not the big stages, just the small ones. And I started doing that. And then I did that probably for about a year and a half. Um, and I'd do a little cooking demo in between like me, you know, like a little demonstration using a magic mix or whatever. Um, and then um, I just got a text from one of the directors one day and they said, look, you know, the guy who's doing the stand, he was a professional presenter at the time. He was a sports presenter. Um, and they said, he's, he's got to be off doing something. Would you, would you jump in and do it? And I got this text and I looked at Jen and I went, Oh my God, they just asked me to host the super theater. And she went, what do you mean? And I was like, well, that's from the director of BBC Good Food. She just asked me to host the super theater. I said, that's two and a half to 3000 people every show. <laughs> wow. I said, we do five shows a day. I said that and it's half an hour, like bang, bang. I said, there's a big difference. I said, it's just me. Get, you know, she went, what, what are you doing? Just text her back and say yes. And I was like, okay, fine. So I texted her back and said yes. And that was it. And it was literally, I mean, I'm, you know, you go into it and you are just bang. And, and it is, yeah, me and a cameraman, which we've built up a great relationship over the years. But, you know, we go up and we've got to entertain. You imagine people pay for a ticket to come in, you know, two and a half thousand people and they're going to come watch James Martin or Mary Berry or Paul Hollywood or whatever when they come in you've got to get them super excited so we used to have like giveaways and stuff so basically i have to t-shirt cannons massive yeah i have to become <laughs> this massive ball of energy on stage uh, but at the same time i've got to nail all my sponsorship because obviously the theater is paid for by sainsbury's mm. or tesco's or a little or or whatever and um, so you have to go in and give this whole sort of you know like sponsorship deal but at the same time making it not boring for the punter at the same time getting the punters really excited so that when the chef comes out they have this massive explosion and like excitement because if the chef comes out onto stage and there's no like clapping and cheering and whatever they're going to get a complex yeah. you know well and also they get a complex because they're like hold on a minute paul Hollywood got a bigger bigger one than james martin what's going on so <laughs> So, it's, so that sort of I fell into that, and I think you just got to do these things. But I used to sit and watch the guy who used to do the big the, the big theatre before in my breaks, and I'd go and see and see what he did, and then I'd like listen, and then I'd be like, okay. And eventually, I took his job. You know, um, uh, I mean, he's you know he's, he's done very well. He's, a, he's an exceptional sports presenter. He does a lot of the, the other stuff, but that was one of his you know his things. So I ended up doing that, and I just and it's sort of I've stayed with it ever since. I've been doing it for the last five or six years, and. I just absolutely love it, but it's still, I mean, you know, you still, that little butterflies in your belly before you go on stage to two and a half thousand people. But it's amazing. Um, but it's amazing. It, it is amazing, but it's also scary at that same time. You know, you just got to go in and do it, haven't you? Well, I mean, like, 
with, with what I'm doing now, I'm not going to compare that to working in a super fear, but like, um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, yeah, but you have it in a different way though, isn't it? A different, you know, the view well, is the same, but it's in a different format. You could, this is practice for me. This is practice yeah. for me. You know, I like I love doing what I'm doing. And before I even started the biscuit, I actually asked if I could sit in with BBC Shropshire and watch a show be produced. Just sit and watch. Nice, no, yeah. I don't want to take part. I just want to watch yeah. how it's put together. And they did. They very kindly let me come and sit and watch and how, see how things were put together. And yeah. um, because I went from this R-rated show where I'd swear a lot to this family-friendly show yeah. here that I can't read. Really so I wanted to know a bit about structure. And it's, it, you're right. It is about just going and just being a part of something. Well, that's really important. Yeah. It's a really good yeah. message. Um, now, Marcus, I know we're running up on our time. Um, I've just got that's one right. more question to ask you. Thank you, by the way, for coming on. This has been amazing. Um, no problem. We're bringing this question back and we thought we'd, uh, uh, you'd be the first person. We used to ask this at the end of every episode. What does Shrewsbury mean to you? Uh Shrewsbury and sort of Shropshire as a whole. Shropshire, Shrewsbury, Shropshire, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I've been here since I was 17, so I'm like 42, I think. (laughs) I always forget (laughs) old, uh, I have to ask why. Um, But, um, but yeah, I, I I mean, I've always been a massive fan of it. And I think, you know, it's an incredible town, incredible sort of county. Um, One, because it sort of showcases some incredible talent. We've got some really lovely people, not people who have been here necessarily all their lives. You know, we've got people who sort of moved up here or some people moved away as well. But it's it's a congregation of a really great group of people, very creative. Um, uh, we've got some incredible artisans that I've met over the years, whether, you know, people like sort of Sitch Farm, who sort of creates some incredible pottery, and my um, friend John, who, who sort of the other half of Sitch Farm, who's an incredible carpenter. There's just some really good talented of people and then produces everything from our milk to our bread to, you know, what we do to what we create. And, I mean, I, I grew up in Henley-on-Thames, so Shrewsbury for me, when I moved here 17 years ago, I came and I was like, Oh my god! Like, why are they not doing anything with the river? Why is it so? It, it was almost like I well, I moved from Hen on Thames, which if you've ever been to Hen on Thames, we've had the regatta there for years on the river. You've got a boat, a massive boatyard. You've got you know exceptional pubs and things. Pubs are all on the bridge. You know, it, it, it was a thriving place for a long many years, especially when I was growing up. And I came to Shrewsbury and I went, oh my god, it's like I've stepped back twenty years. And it hasn't, you know, it's progressed slowly, very very slowly over that period of time. But I think the good thing with Shrewsbury is it's still got so much more to give. Um, and I think I think we've, you know, if you. I mean, I would quite. I wouldn't like to necessarily always live in a town, but if I was going to live in a town, I think I would live in Shrewsbury because you've got that incredible community of some incredible little coffee shops. Um, you know, I love the coffee shops. I'm a big fan of like to the gingers and you know, Sea Suns now are there and and some other incredible things like Flapper and you have a, the coffee house and the market hall. You know, that was one of the reasons. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I did like Eat Street Shrewsbury. You know, I mean, I'd love to bring that back at some point and you know, in the future. I mean, it never made me any money, but it was something that really brought that community together and showcased some incredible talent, not just from Shrewsbury, but brought it all to Shrewsbury to balance it in. And I think, you know, Shrewsbury's getting so much better with um, adapting and changing and, and bringing, you know, that sort of talent together. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's, it's quite sustainable in the way that we can move it forward because I think we've got more and more talented people moving to the area as well, which then gives us that, you know, but I think we've still got a long way to go. But it's it, for me, it's always been that lovely place. It's got that character. It's got that, it's got those people um, and we just need to showcase some of some of the other little bits a little bit more. And I think some people are very protective, aren't they? they go, no, don't tell everyone about Shrewsbury because then everybody will come. 
well, we want people to come, don't we? We want, you know, we've got to think about the economy. We've got to think about all those those shop owners and those, you know, independent businesses. We need them to thrive so that they don't close. You know, we've got to. We've That's got to my think job. About the That's thing. what the bis- the biscuits here for is to tell people about the great exactly. things about Shrewsbury, and we ain't yeah, stopping. Exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Marcus, you've been an amazing guest. I'd love to speak to you again sometime because I feel like we've covered about. Pleasure. Five to ten percent of you. I think there's so much more to come. Oh yeah, I, I, I and I apologise. I do talk a lot. So, I love uh, <laughs> podcasts. I, I, I train up other podcasts, and I've got two different networks. And I have that question a lot. Is like, what do you do when when the guest is great at talking? And I was like, just let them talk. This is the yeah, best thing. I'm thing. hearing about yeah, your story, yeah. and people are tuning in for you, not me. Um, so I'm really glad that we managed to cover uh, what we have today. But um, you're welcome on any time. Absolutely. Um, Thank you very much, definitely. Uh, before we get out of here, would you like to tell people where they can find uh, bits about you, uh, especially about the Brompton Cookery School? Um, where can people find that? Yeah, cool. Uh, so um, if you want to find out about Brompton Cookery School, we are obviously on things like Instagram. We've obviously got our own website. Uh, check out our website. It's probably the best thing, which is bromptoncookeryschool.co.uk. There's also things from vouchers. And also as well, we if we're running any things like the Sunday takeout stuff, like that, it all goes online. You just purchase it. Uh, come and check out our little farm shop. We open Friday and Saturday, 10 till 5. Um, I do lots of baked goodies. So I'm going to be going to the kitchen in a minute, making lots of brownies, quiches, scotch eggs, sausage rolls, all those lovely things we're known for. Um, um, so yes, that's us. And then um, also as well, just follow me on the normal socials. Uh, I'm normally, normally awful at promoting those, but uh, at Marcus Bean Chef on things like Instagram and uh, other stuff as well. So yeah, I think pretty much all that. But yeah, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed yeah, myself. Really good. And, uh, I better go and get in the kitchen, do some cooking. <laughs> Marcus, you've been amazing. Thank you very much, guys. And we will catch you next time. Um, peace out, guys. Take it easy.